And now stay tuned for Recollections at 30 on NBC. Recollections at 30. NBC, celebrating its 30th year of broadcasting, invites you to memorable moments of radio's earlier days. In this special series of broadcasts, you'll reminisce among NBC's vast and historic library of sound. You'll hear the stars, the songs, the great moments in sports and special events that have highlighted these 30 years of NBC network broadcasting. And here, guiding our recollections at 30, is Ed Herlihy. Thank you, Fred Collins, and good evening, everyone. It is my distinct pleasure to join you each week at this time and play for you some of the recorded highlights of radio that I have found in NBC's priceless library of sound. Those of us who go back farther than we usually care to admit all remember, of course, the A&P Gypsies. They started on radio even before we had an NBC network, and they continued right through 1936. There was Harry Horlick's orchestra and a young tenor who was to be heard from later on on more elaborate shows. His name, Frank Parker.
That was Frank Parker as he sounded 20 or more years ago with the A&P Gypsies. Remember back when the nation was thrown into an uproar by the emergency government subsidy whereby for the first time farmers were paid for not raising full quotas? Well, there were learned discussions of this policy, of course, pro and con, but on NBC, a pair of comedians named Pick and Pat paid their respects to it in the time-honored, satirical way. Pick and Pat. Dickie, I just got a letter from my Uncle Nicodemus. Well, uh, what does your uncle do? Well, uh, he don't raise hogs. <laughs> well, the fool you, I don't care what he don't do. What I want to know is what he do do. Well, I just told you, he makes his living by not raising hogs. <laughs> Last year, the government paid him $1,000 for not raising hogs. Oh, yeah, I see. If you go into the not raising hog business, the government pays you. Yes, certainly. And my uncle, he needs me to help him not raise the hogs. Mm-hmm. Well, how many hogs don't your uncle raise a year? Well, uh, he don't raise about 500. Yeah, well, for not raising 500 hogs, he, he got $1,000. Yeah, but next year, he, go, he, he, he is not going to raise 1,000 hogs, so he will make $2,000. Oh. And he needs somebody to help him. Yeah, he say if I come out and help him, he will not raise more hogs than anybody in the world. Well, he certainly picked the right man not to help him. Yeah, <laughs> I say he did, because I never raised a hog in my life. He was tell me this. What kind of hogs don't your uncle raise? Oh, well, he don't raise anything but the best. Mm. <laughs> well, tell me this. To not raise those fine hogs, what don't he feed them? Well, for one thing, he don't feed them corn. Why not? Because he is also into not raising corn business. <laughs> oh, is that pretty good, too? Pretty good, son. That's better. Well, if he's getting along so good, why don't he not hire you to help him not raise hogs? Well, he's playing that right here in his letter. Oh, he do do it? Yeah, hear what he don't say. Yeah, well, what does he don't say? Go ahead. Well, he don't say to me, he say, you know, Pat, for 20 years I have been raising hogs. But I could never make any money till I went into the not raising hog business. Yeah, I see. But somehow it ain't the same around the old farm without no hogs. He missed them. Yeah. I used to love them little hoggies. But now it looks like I won't never see another little hoggy again as long as I live. But if you come to work for me, everything will be all right. <laughs> everything will be... Wait a minute. Do he mean... I ain't gonna take that job. Yes, Pick and Pat. Before you knew them as Pick and Pat, you heard the same pair calling themselves Molasses in January. Yep, the same two. A number of you had requested an excerpt from Pick and Pat's foolery, which leads me to the thought that those of you who have not sent in your requests should certainly do so. Write to me, Ed Hurley, care of NBC, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York. Now, in last week's mailbag was this letter. When your program, Recollections at 30, comes on, I am no longer a lonely widow. Old friends whom my husband and I enjoyed and we laughed at together bring back those happy days. How about one of Eddie Cantor's lively songs, please? All right, ma'am, here's Eddie Cantor with one of those grand old favorites of his Ziegfeld days. A boy and girl were walking, oh, walking, yes, walking, and as they stood there talking, he stole a little kiss. 
The girlie started giggling, oh giggling, yes giggling, and as the boy stood wiggling, he shyly told her this, oh gee, oh gosh, oh golly, I'm in love, oh gee, oh gosh, it's you I'm thinking of, I love to feel your teeny weeny hand in mine, I get a piggly weekly feeling down my spine, oh me, oh my, oh how I'd love to kiss. I swear that home could never be like this. You've got all my nerves unstrung. Let's be foolish while we're young. Oh, gee, oh, gosh, oh, golly, I'm in love. Oh, gee, oh, gosh, oh, golly, I'm in love. Oh, gee, oh, gosh, it's you I'm thinking of. I love to feel your hands upon my manly skin. I enjoy the perfume you use on your skin. Oh, gee, oh, gosh. Oh, how I'd love to fly and float among the clouds up in the sky When the preacher says we're one, my oh my, won't we have fun? Oh gee, oh gosh, oh golly, I'm in love Incidentally, these excerpts you hear each week are not available on commercial recordings, friends. These are all taken directly from the broadcasts preserved in NBC's Library of Sound And we can only let you hear them over the air I suppose there are some in my audience who do not remember Father Coughlin. Throughout several years, up to World War II, this Roman Catholic priest, voicing political opinions which were his own, and not the Church's, was a most controversial personality. He was denounced at times as a demagogue, and then revered as a wise man. And the very mention of his name could start an argument most anywhere. Here's a part of Father Coughlin's broadcast of February the 6th, 1938, in which he gave his views on Asia. For the past 100 years or more, there has been germinating in the minds of the Asiatics a new national philosophy. The Indians, the Chinese, and the Japanese have been developing the principle of Asia for the Asiatics. This thought took deep root first amongst the oppressed populations of India. During the past 15 years, it was developed almost to maturity by Mahatma Gandhi and his disciples. Why should our hundreds of millions of people live in abject poverty, exploited by the Maharajas who are held upon their luxurious thrones by British cannon and bayonet? Why should our provinces be preyed upon by English-speaking merchants who preach to us the gospel of brotherly love? and practice the gospel of international injustice. Why should our populous country, teeming with wealth and natural resources, be enslaved to a small group of people resident in London, so 60 million untouchables of India ask themselves? Did not Great Britain and America, the proponents of independence, Wage the world war to make the world safe for democracy, they asked. Is not democracy the rule of the people, by the people, and for the people, they inquired? If that be so, why do not the Indians rule themselves, for themselves, and by themselves, they concluded. North of India, in Tokyo, there re-echo the words of Asia for the Asiatics. The Japanese interpretation of it is one which is described as an imperialistic democracy similar to that adopted by Great Britain. 
Their ambition in Japan is to imitate England by amalgamating into one great empire through conquest the countries of Manchukuo, of China proper, of India, of the entire East. For the last ten years, with zealous persistency, the government of Japan has been pursuing this program. The question of importance is, shall we Americans become party to this impending conflict? If we believe in the policy of America for the Americans, why not sustain the policy of Asia for the Asiatics? Or shall we repeat the disastrous mistake of 1916 by enmeshing ourselves in the net of foreign intrigue, lured on by some fantastic ideal of preserving the world's peace, when in reality we become accomplices in preserving the domination of Europe in Asia. I am objecting to Europe's interfering in Asia as much as I would object to Asia's interfering in Europe or to England's occupying the port of New York as she occupies the port of Hong Kong in China. Moreover, I am objecting to the governmental propagandists at home and their insidious incitations when it would behoove them to bend their talents in pleading for the 12 million unemployed and for the eradication of the causes which produce the unemployment. Instead of preparing an issue of war bonds for destruction, may I suggest that they issue peace bonds for production. Production for our own people and the Orientals, so that with clean hands, our missionaries and merchants can carry abroad the gospel of Christ and point with pride that we Christians of the Western Hemisphere practice what we preach. That was Father Coughlin in 1938, a dynamic speaker who moved you either to agree with or to anger at him. Now, for the benefit of the younger members of the audience, I'd like to say that the world has not changed as greatly as you might think. Some of you teenagers will perhaps be very much surprised to learn that when your mothers were young, a man who is now a pleasant middle-aged character actor caused traffic jams whenever he showed up anywhere to lift his voice in song. One listener has written to us about the crush she used to have on him. Well, here's what used to crush her. A song by... <laughs> yes, you older ones have guessed it. Rudy Valley. If there is someone lovelier than you, then I am blind, a man without a mind. If there is someone lovelier than you, but no, I am not blind. My eyes have traveled everywhere. In hopes that I might find a creature half so fair. There is someone lovelier than you. By all that's beautiful, such beauty. Oh, oh, oh. 
Remember that wonderful husband and wife actor, actress team from the old silent movies and the early talkies? I refer to B.B. Daniels and Ben Lyon, now such a big hit in England. Here we have an excerpt from their appearance on the Ben Burney Show, early in 1936. I have several questions I'd like to ask you folks, but I don't know where to start. You know, really, I'd like to do a bit of interviewing. I guess I'll ask the boss of the family first. Okay, okay Michael, Marcia, shoot. go ahead. I said boss of the family. Well, well here, here I am, Michael, waiting. You ready to go? Ahead. <laughs> oh, nothing like being happily married. Yes, uh, believe me, Maestro, there's nothing like being happily married. Why, B.B. and I get along just like a couple of lovebirds. Uh-huh. We even take turns making breakfast in the morning. Yeah? Well, one morning, I get up and cook the breakfast while she stays in bed, and, well, the next morning, she stays in bed while I get up and cook the breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm certainly glad to hear that... <laughs> I'm certainly glad to hear that you two get along so well. <laughs> oh, yes, my show. B.B. and I get along very well. Really swell. We never talk back to each other, do we, dear? No. Sometimes we don't talk back to each other for days. <laughs> Say, Micey, dear, don't you think I look nice? You bet. Isn't this a beautiful dress? I'll say. <laughs> and isn't my hair nice? You said it. Don't you think I have pretty eyes? I'll say. <laughs> and don't you think I have a lovely complexion? Uh-huh. And haven't I got a nice figure? Uh-huh. Oh, Micey, you say the sweetest thing. No. <laughs> Say, B.B., I know that everyone would like to have you sing a song. How's about singing something for us, huh? Well, I'd love to. Can the lads play alone? Why, certainly. Whenever I leave this orchestra, the lads are playing alone. Sing, baby, my friend. A million stars are shining bright that glorify the sky. A million lovers out It's always a great moment when a new star is discovered. And of course, in its 30-year history of network broadcasting, NBC has introduced many new stars. Sometimes they were discovered by the movie people first, sometimes not. But always the newness and freshness of their appeal has been a thrill. That's the way it was, and I'm sure many of you remember this as I do, when we first became conscious of the appealing personality and wonderful voice of Deanna Durbin. Eddie Cantor it was who discovered her, and here now is Deanna Durbin singing Ave Maria. (laughs) 
Deanna Durbin, a radio appearance of hers, recreated out of the past from NBC's Library of Sound. Next week, friends, we will hear Bing Crosby, Nelson Eddy, Ed Wynn, and others. Perhaps one of your favorite stars of yesterday. Please join me then for more recollections at 30. Oh, and by the way, if you have favorites of your own that you'd like to hear, please let me know. Ed Hurley, NBC, New York. And I'll certainly try to find them for you. Ed Hurley has been your host on Recollections at 30. Next week at this time, there'll be another in this special series, commemorating NBC's 30th year of broadcasting. This is Fred Collins, hoping you'll be able to join us then for more of the great stars and great moments of the past. Recollections at 30 is directed by Bob Mauer. Burt Parks and the Four Lads live on Bandstand weekday mornings on NBC Radio. We hope you are enjoying the old-time radio programs on the RadioThen.network podcast. You will find many biographies and audio clips from the past on our blog www.radiothen.network Check it out and bookmark the blog which also indexes our podcasts www.radiothen.network